Well, amen. Today we're beginning a new series called Flannel Graph Heroes. Now, if you've been around here for a while, you heard that title before because we do this series almost every year, but with new material. And it's actually one of my favorites to do and favorites to teach because it's so word-based and you just basically, you get to pick a character and talk about them. And now, when I say flannel graph, how many would admit to knowing what I am talking about? All right, you just totally gave away your age right there because it's going back a ways before digital media, before digital smart boards and smartphones and all of these things. Sunday school teachers would use a felt board. I just got the other half of you. Okay. They would use a felt board and they would take these felt characters like Noah and the Ark and Samson and whoever and they would just put them on the felt board as they told the stories to make the story come alive. And so we're going to take a character each week and see what the impact of these flannel graph heroes uh, can make in our life. Uh, Our first hero, and I I debated whether or not to start with, with him. Because this is probably not one that your Sunday school teacher would have used. Well, I know they would not have used. We're going to be talking about Hosea today. I heard a few little, oh, yeah, if you do much Bible study at all. Some of you may not, if you, if you don't do a lot of Bible study, you may not even know who this guy is. Um, and to be honest with you, if we were sitting in the movie theater, this sermon might be close to being rated PG-13. Just a little warning To go out there, and some of you know what I'm talking about, and others are about to find out. But I don't want any emails, because I know half of you watch Game of Thrones, so I don't even want to (laughs) hear. Because this is tame, okay? This is tame. So just hold your emails. But today, we're going to talk about the Old Testament minor prophet, Hosea. And our subtitle for the message is Relentless Pursuit. Relentless Pursuit. Um, We're going to read the first couple of verses of Hosea that are in the message version. And the reason I chose this is just like in your face, paraphrased version. And it's, it's, it's shocking, okay? It's shocking. It's offensive. But it's going to get your attention, and that was my whole thing, to get into this thing. And then we're going to pray because we're probably going to need it at that point, all right? So let's look at Hosea chapter 1, verse 1. This is in the message once again. This is God's message to Hosea, son of Bari. It came to him during the royal reigns of Judah's kings Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. This was also the time that Jeroboam, son of Joash, was king over Israel. Okay, time out. So we have a divided kingdom. We have Israel in the north with ten tribes, and we have Judah in the south with two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. There's been civil war between them. Judah has fared a little better with some Godly kings intermixed. The northern kingdom of Israel is in terrible shape. They have evil king after evil king after evil king, and it's just really, really bad. The time period is around 750 B.C., so 750 years before Jesus was born. There's the context. Verse 2. The first time God spoke to Hosea, he said, Find a whore and marry her. Yeah, I saw somebody look up. (laughs) What? I told you, okay, just I gave you warning. He said, make this whore the mother of your children. And here's why. This whole country, Israel, this is to Israel. 
This whole country has become a whorehouse. Unfaithful to me, God. Did you know that was in the Bible? Here we go. Let's pray. Father, nobody run for the door. <laughs> Father, we bless you. Thank you for your, the worship we've experienced. Lord God, thank you for the baptisms. Thank you for the lives changed today. Thank you so much, Lord. I'm just in awe of what you're doing, and I pray you would continue to move today through your word. Let it become powerful and prophetic and life-changing in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. All right, so here we go. Yeah, this epic, crazy, shocking command in the Bible, probably the most shocking command in the Bible, God used not only the preaching Not only the words and the prophecy of this man, Hosea, but he used his very life to provide a living parable, a living illustration of this relationship between God and Israel. All the way from their deliverance, all the way back from Egypt with Moses, from the 40 years in the wilderness, from the conquest of the promised land with Joshua, through the 300-year period we call judges with Gideon and Samson and Ehud and Deborah, people like that, through the reigns of the kings like Saul and David and Solomon. You recognize all of those names. And then the division of the kingdom. It's about a five to 600-year period. And during this period, Israel follows this exhausting pattern of rebellion All during that time, and it looks something like this. I know we're running a little bit late because of the baptism. Y'all going to focus in, though? This is good. you got to get this. But the, the pattern is like this. Number one, hardship. There's always a hardship or a captivity or slavery or something like that. Going all the way back to Egypt is the first one. They were enslaved. They were in captivity. They had a problem. They had a terrible situation. And so there was a hardship and a captivity. And then secondly... They cry out to God. This is a pattern, okay? This is the pattern. They cry out to God. They ask God for forgiveness. They ask God for help. How many have cried out to God? Come on. We've all done it. We cry out, Lord, forgive me. Please, please send somebody to help me. Send somebody to rescue me. And then third, God would answer. How many know God answers prayers? God would answer, he would send a rescuer, he would send a redeemer, he would send a type and shadow of the Messiah to help them, and he would would answer the prayer. And then number four, there would be a short period of peace and prosperity. Sometimes it was very short, but there would be a, a peace, a time of peace, and why? Because they were following the Lord. Because they were being obedient to the commands of God and they were in right relationship with him and he was blessing them. It does not take to be a rocket scientist to understand this. They were walking with God and he was blessing them. But then the next thing is they would forget. And they would go, number five, back into rebellion and idolatry. Why? I think because the parents didn't do a very good job teaching the children. Do you hear some more sermon in that for us? The parents didn't do a very good job of instilling in their children what slavery looks like, what what it feels like to be in bondage, what God did for them, and what it means to put God first in your life. To make him supreme over everything. 
Folks, all of us that are parents, that are teachers, that have influence with children, they are watching us. And whether you're teaching or not, they are learning. And if you continuously prioritize other things, it doesn't matter what it is, it could be money, it could be jobs, it could be sports, it could be anything above God. They're going to learn that and they will take it to the next level in their generation until God is forgotten. And that's exactly what has happened. And that's exactly, may I be a little bit prophetic, what is happening right now in our country. It has been. So then they go back into rebellion. There's idolatry. They forget God. There's a new generation that does not follow God. And then number six, at that point, God removes his hand. Because God cannot bless rebellion. God cannot bless rebellion. And then what happens? The whole process starts over again. I said earlier, it's exhausting. I'm telling you, how many of you read the, New Test- or the Old Testament? How many of you studied the Old Testament? I'm not telling you not to, but I'm telling you, if you do, get ready. It can be tiring. It can be exhausting. It can be like, are you serious? Right now, because you did the same thing two pages ago. And I'm like, I just want to take my Bible. And then I'm like, I can't throw my Bible. Can't do that. But you're just like, are you, when are you going to learn, you idiots? And then it's about the time that my self-righteous anger gets to right here, that the Holy Spirit gets in my ear and whispers, yeah, their life looks a lot like yours. And then he does like this spiritual mic drop. Right? Oh, yeah. It's, it's like the circle of death. It's amazing when you get a word like that and you pick the Bible back up, begin to look at the Old Testament again with fresh vision. And then you begin to see what's really there. And let me tell you what's really there. Mercy, grace, patience of a loving God. And then I want to thank God profusely that he extended grace and mercy and patience and love to me. I got one person clapping. I'll take it. Just keep on. Keep on. Come on, brother. Fist pump. See, none of the the other prophets in that time period had had much success in this. And, you know, God asked them to do some pretty crazy stuff too. Hello? Sorry. (laughs) The Holy Spirit. Listen to this pastor right now. God asks some crazy things of other prophets. Listen to me. Focus in. But he goes way off script here. Can I get an amen? He goes like way, he's not just using and giving a sermon. He's not just giving prophetic material and words. He's using somebody's life as a living, real life parable to demonstrate the hurt and the pain and the disappointment and the rejection that he had been experiencing for 600 years. 
He's going to demonstrate in Hosea's marriage. And in this, we see a father who would do almost anything to redeem his children. The same father who would eventually send his son Jesus to us to die on the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is the redeeming love of our Savior. We serve a God. We serve a God who loves us. We serve a God who knows where we are personally and knows what we're going through. We serve a God who will relentlessly pursue us even when we're making the worst decisions of our life, even when we're running as hard and as fast away from him. He will continue to try to chase us down. Even if you've made the worst decisions over and over, dumb decisions over and over again, as long as there is breath in your lungs, I'm telling you, there is hope today. And the reason is because we have a God who will relentlessly pursue us. Hallelujah. Can we just stop and thank God? Just thank Him right now. Come on. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Now, this pattern of rebellion, as I've already said, it's not just about Israel. It's about us. How about we stop going around in circles, folks? Do you know you're going to continue to go around in circles until you pass the test? You're going to have to take it over. I hate tests. Anybody be like, oh, I just love tests. Give me a test. Nobody ever said that in the human, except for Sheldon, if you watch Big Bang Theory. It's over. (laughs) I'm sorry. Series is over. I'm still recovering. But nobody loves tests. But you know you're going to have to continuously go around that mountain. How about we get off that treadmill where we're putting a lot of effort in to go nowhere? How about we surrender to the will of God? How about we stop running from Him and turn to embrace His mercy, His grace, His love, His plan for our lives? And you're like, yeah, pastor, that's fine. And then he's going to ask me to do something ridiculous like Hosea. I know how this works. It is crazy. It is. It's shocking. You know, he still calls people to do shocking things. But can I tell you something? This may be the best part of the whole sermon right here. Are you ready? Look at the screen. If you will surrender your will to God's will, he will give you the strength to accomplish anything he calls you to do. Anything. Anything. That's what Paul's talking about in Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me. He's not talking about losing 100 pounds. He's not talking about making it into the NFL. He's not talking about lifting more when he goes to the I can do all things through Christ. No, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about being content in every situation. He's talking about, look, I'm good whether I have a lot of money or whether I have no money. I'm good whether I drive a nice car or a junk car. I'm good if I'm in a big house or a shack. As long as I'm in the will of my Father, I can do all things through Christ 
who strengthens me. That's what it means. Come on, somebody. We also have the New Testament promise that Hosea didn't have. Philippians 1, 6, I'm certain that God who began a good work in you will finish it, he'll perfect it, he'll continue it until we are finally finished. The day when Jesus returns. Hmm. All right, we got to move. Hosea 1, I feel the presence of the Lord. Hosea 1, we're going to switch from message to NIV, beginning with verse 3, 1, 3. So Hosea married Gomer, daughter of Diblium. Okay, so let's talk about this woman. Because in this real-life story, real-life parable, Gomer represents Israel. But she also represents us. I got one amen. So evidently this girl, this real girl, had a reputation. We don't know if she was already practicing prostitution by the time Hosea met her. But we know she was a promiscuous woman at the very least. And we know one thing for sure. Gomer would not, she would not have been Hosea's first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh choice. She was a high risk relationship to say the least. But how many know, man, there's been a time when I was a high risk relationship and I still have my days. Come on. Not me, brother. Not me. I'm sanctified. I don't know what's got into me. I'm feeling really just something. But listen, he would marry her. She would eventually leave him multiple times. She would go back to her life of prostitution over and over. And here's the deal. God knew she would. That was the point of the illustration. Now, Gomer herself, back at the beginning of this thing, just imagine how very surprised and confused she would have been knowing her life when she found out that that Hosea was not just going to proposition her for sex like every other man had, but he was actually arranging for their marriage. And in that culture, that was out of her hands. And... She had a dad, no doubt, who was on cloud nine to get rid of her because he knew her life. And he's like, Mary, woo! Here she, what do I need to do? Here's a goat. What? What do I need to do? I mean, he was ready to roll. Everybody look at me. Something very unexpected happened, though. Hosea fell deeply. In love with Gomer. Let that sink in. Hosea began to care for this woman deeply. And he began to be desperate for her to forget and move on from her past. So they could build a beautiful life together. But Gomer... She seemed completely cold and ambivalent towards Hosea's love. But just think about where she was coming from. She had built up so many walls 
from the one night stands and the cheap relationships that she didn't think there was any chance of any kind of substantial, real, wholesome, pure relationship in her life. I'm preaching to somebody because God wants to break through that wall. It seems that marriage simply changed the label on her behavior from promiscuous to adulterous. And again, none of this is taking God by surprise. Because he had been experiencing this rejection for 600 years. Here's a point. This is important. We cannot truly understand the grace of God without understanding the meaning of covenant. That's why God chose to use an extreme marriage to demonstrate the extreme unfaithfulness of Israel. Because marriage is a covenant relationship. Marriage is defined by lifelong vows that declares faithfulness to the other person forever till death do us part. Through the extreme story of Hosea, God is showing Israel what their unfaithfulness looks like and feels like to him. See, in the Old Testament, we get what I call a macro view. That means way up above. It's all about many people, nations, collective groups. But when we go to the New Testament, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, it's no longer this macro view. It gets down and small and personal because of Jesus Christ. It's no longer just about nations. It's about you and me. But see, in Hosea, we get a glimpse of that in this small, intimate story of Hosea and Gomer. And we see the anguish. Come on now. We see the anguish of God through the anguish of Hosea. Just like any spouse, if you're here and you've ever experienced that rejection, that hurt, that disappointment of an unfaithful spouse. Verse 3. I'm going somewhere. I know this is heavy right now. Just say, Lord, get there, Alan. Get there, brother. Come on, this is heavy. It's going to get a little heavier first. Verse 3, So Hosea married Gomer, daughter of Dibliam, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre of Jezreel, and I will put an end. Everybody say end. I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day, I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. God is, in essence, divorcing Israel. And Hosea divorces Gomer, saying, I'm done. I've had enough. I've had a lot of patience, but I'm finished. And then Hosea has three children. Before that, he has three children with Gomer. And actually, he's not even sure if they're his because she's unfaithful the entire time. Now, this will preach. He doesn't know if they're his biologically, but he takes them in and he adopts them. I don't care how illegitimate you feel like your life is this morning. We serve a God who will adopt you, who will take you in, who will love you, who will redeem your life, who will use your life. But then he has him name, name these kids horrible things. That represent what's happening. The first Jezreel, 
was referring back to a massacre. So the people of Israel would, as soon as they heard Jezreel, they would have been thinking bloodshed and judgment and wrath. And they would have realized God's going to be pouring out judgment on them because of their idolatry. And by the way, God was justified in that because of his word. But what we need to understand about this boy's name doesn't just apply to Israel. Everybody look at me. We're all Jezreel. We're Gomer and we're all Jezreel. We're all, and we all deserve judgment. We all fall short of what? The glory, the, the holiness, the perfection of God. We all have sin that has to be dealt with. And here's the deal. I want you to get this. We cannot fully understand God's grace until that truth of the deprivation of our heart is realized. Until we come to that place of surrender where we will say, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. We can never experience, truly experience the salvation of God until we come to that place. I told you it got worse before it gets better. But here we go. Verse 6. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, call her Lo-Rohomah, which means not loved. Ladies, how would you like that? Come into the world. This is not loved. Isn't she beautiful? How awful. Not loved. I will no longer show love to Israel that I should at all forgive them. So it's not looking good with these first two kids. We've got judgment, bloodshed, wrath. And then we've got not loved. Awesome. Let's go to verse 8. After she had weaned, not loved, Gomer had another son. Then the Lord said, call him Loami, which means not my people. For you are not my people and I am. Say I am. I am not your God. The literal Hebrew here is I am no longer your I am. How many remember Moses in the desert with the the, the burning bush when he said, who should I say sent me to Pharaoh? And God said, I am that I am. He's saying, I'm no longer that. So we're three for three on the kids. It's bleak, it's depressing, it's dark. It's like, are you kidding me? What are we going to do? It's hopeless. How many have ever felt that way? Probably every one of us at some point in our life, some situation, some job, some relationship, some situation with our kids, something. We felt hopeless. This was a hopeless situation, it seems. And then, y'all got to get this, out of nowhere. There's no transitional statement. There's no transitional verse. Out of nowhere, we get Hosea 1.10. Yet, everybody say Yet. Yet the time will come when Israel's people will be like the sands of the seashore, too many to count. Then at the very place where they were told, at the very place where they were named, you are not my people, you will be said, you are the children of God. Out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. Theologians and scholars call this verse the great reversal. The great reversal. I don't know about you, but I've had a few reversals in my life. I'm thankful that I serve a God of the great reversal. I'm glad I serve a God 
of the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth chance. I'm thankful that I've got a God who will pursue me even in my stupidity. Even when I've done the dumbest things you can imagine. He pursues me because He loves me. And His grace is so incredibly big and powerful. And there's a reversal if I'll turn and, and, and bow my knee and, and repent. And there was, there was coming a reversal. Out of nowhere. I mean, because look, look, look. All those other verses that were dark and bleak, they're still true. They're still there. They're still in Scripture. The judgment is still coming. The unfaithfulness is still prevalent. But God is never satisfied to leave His children without hope. And He is not satisfied to leave you this morning without hope. God has divorced Israel just as Hosea has divorced Gomer, but in both cases, the big grace of God will eventually completely obliterate the law in Jesus' name because of Jesus, because of Him. After stating that Israel had forfeited their status as the people of God, the text, again, without any kind of transitional statement, if you're a literature person, there's nothing there. It just reaffirms the ancient covenant with Abraham. Covenant with Abraham all the way back in Genesis 22. Why suddenly is this covenant coming back up? Because God was there with Abraham. Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Because God is the God of His Word. And He remembered His Word. He remembered His covenant. God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And His name was changed to Israel. And God remembered He had a covenant with the people of Israel. And He could not, even though He wanted to, even though you can see His feelings and His hurt and His pain, He loved so much that He would not give up. He continuously pursued. I know it's hard to clap to this. This is, this is stuff. But if you can see your life in this. Here's the big idea. There's a lot of big ideas. Here's one of them. God was relentless in pursuing his people in the Old Testament. And because of Jesus, he's relentless in pursuing you today. Amen. So in closing, Hosea's struggles with his unfaithful wife overlap perfectly the pain and the disappointment that God experienced with Israel. We know that. That's the point. But it goes even further. We don't have time to read it all. This is in chapter 3. Sometime after the birth of the third child, which again, Hosea doesn't even know if it's his. Gomer leaves him again, goes back to her life of prostitution, and this time becomes enslaved to a man, a bond slave. And then God, in chapter 3, commands Hosea to go once again, love her again, chase her down again, and redeem her. That word means literally to buy back. He pays a hefty price to buy her back and bring her home. And I say all of that because it's a foreshadowing, it's a beautiful picture of the price that Jesus would pay 
on the cross to buy us back and redeem our lives from hell. Amen. So how would you respond if you were Gomer? How did she respond? Did the credits roll beautifully? Was it like the movie Pretty Woman? How many with me? Not many? Okay. It's old. Did the credits roll? Did it say they lived happily? We don't know. We don't know. We know about Israel. We know what happened to them. They did get captured. The Assyrian army did come and they did go into captivity. But God did redeem them once again. But we don't know with this physical, real girl what she did. And I think God leaves us with that tension because there's tension in our lives to deal with every single day. There are tensions that we have to trust God with every single day. Everything doesn't just wrap up beautifully like it does in a movie. In real life, you've got to actually live the next day by faith. But here's what we do know. If Gomer responds in kind then she builds a beautiful life with this man. And if, as God relentlessly pursues us, if we will turn away from the world and we will receive and embrace His redeeming love, then we can live a life of purpose and meaning and grace and blessing. A life that's worth living. Are you getting this? This story is extreme. I hesitated to even share it. It's extreme, but it demands that we open our eyes to the greatest love in the universe, the redeeming love of our Heavenly Father. Not just for a nation, not just for Israel, but for you and for me. 